So just by a show of hands, how many of you got together on this last Thursday past to celebrate the holiday? Anybody? Anybody's neighborhood or park have a celebration Thursday night? Nobody? I didn't think so. In case you're wondering what I'm talking about, if you have a calendar and you take it out and look at it, if it, it marks Christian holidays, you'll notice that this Thursday past is marked as Ascension Day. The day that our Lord Jesus was taken back into heaven, back into his place of glory. And, you know, as a rule, Ascension Day is hardly ever celebrated, right? If it's even remembered at all. So I'm willing to bet, and I was a bet that I would have won, that none of you did anything special to celebrate the holiday, and it was life and work as usual for most of us three days ago, as we went about our daily lives. And even in church, uh, we don't often... John, did you ever do any special Ascension Day services? See, John, okay. John did, so he's going to make a liar out of me. But even in, even in church, we don't often do a lot to celebrate the Ascension. We talk much about Jesus ascending into heaven. It might be in part because that whole pre-scientific concept of Jesus going up through the clouds into heaven kind of defies our modern understanding of the universe, doesn't it? I mean, in our lifetime, we've looked into and now traveled into outer space. So when you think of Jesus going up, you might wonder, if it's going up to where? Right? To a planet? To a star? To another galaxy? But you see, the Ascension story, because of that, just doesn't fit into our modern ideas of cosmology. And since it's barely mentioned in the scriptures and its holiday falls on a work day, you might think, who really needs it? But the truth is, the truth is, believe it or not, Jesus' ascension into heaven has a lot to add to our understanding of the Christian faith and to our focus, especially in this church, on the preeminence of Christ. In fact, St. Augustine expressed his opinion about Ascension Day like this. He said, this, meaning Ascension Day, is that festival which confirms the grace of all the other festivals together. He wrote, for unless the Savior has ascended into heaven, his nativity would have come to nothing. And his passion would have borne us no fruit. And his most holy resurrection would have been useless. In other words, Christ's ascension is an essential part of the gospel message and is an event that memorializes the, the full significance of his historical life here on earth and also the continuing ministry that he has for us in heaven. So in reality, the ascension is an experience for us to celebrate every day as an object lesson and as a historic event. And that's evident from our text because it comes to us from Dr. Luke, from the Gospel writer Luke, who as a writer of two books of the New Testament is renowned by Christian scholars and at least grudgingly acknowledged by secular scholars as a very careful historian. So let's take a look at it together as we pick up the story that closed out Luke's Gospel and picks up in the book of Acts in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. So hear now the words of the true and living God. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he's promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? 
He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go. So in this account that Luke wrote, it comes a little over five and a half weeks after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And, and if you look at the end of Luke's gospel, he writes about Jesus appearing again to the disciples when they're all together because he had a few more things that he wanted to tell them before the ascension. And as Luke continues the story here in Acts, you can see the disciples were still kind of confused about why Jesus had come, even though he had already spoken to them about it many times. Some of them were thinking maybe Jesus would set up his earthly kingdom now, and about what their positions in it might get to be. Some of them, like Peter, were wondering about what the future would hold for them. And some of them were still too stunned to believe what they saw right in front of them. But Jesus wanted them to realize that they were all missing the most important thing, and that is reaching the world with the good news of the gospel. And reminding them and us that our only real business should be to be about the business of the king, and that business is evangelism. And that's something that we could easily overlook in our preoccupation with the things of the world. But Jesus is telling his disciples and us not to get caught up in those sorts of things because what he really wanted them to focus on was their new purpose in life now that he was about to leave them. You see, for over the last three years or three and a half years, their purpose had been to follow Jesus and to watch him fulfill each and every messianic prophecy that was recorded about him in the scriptures. Their purpose had been to watch Jesus suffer and rise from the dead, and now, now they're done with that learning phase of their ministry, and Jesus was going to give them a new job and a new purpose in their lives. And he told them that very soon, with the Holy Spirit's help, they would come to understand exactly what their purpose was and how to fulfill it. And the words that Jesus shared in explaining all of this to his men were the most important words they could hear at this moment because Jesus told them what they were to do with the rest of their lives and what we are to be doing until Christ returns. And that's making sure that repentance for the forgiveness of sins is preached in the name of Jesus to all nations and for us to be witnesses of him everywhere we go. And you know, Jesus didn't just leave them and us with a job to do. The truth is he left us with access to the power to accomplish it. He said to them in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He didn't say you might. He didn't say you could. He said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Because you see, at this point, the disciples didn't already have the Holy Spirit personally indwelling them like we do. Because Jesus was still with them. But now, now that Jesus is ready to depart, he promises to send them the gift of the Spirit. And we know he kept that promise as Luke testified all the way through his gospel and all the way through the book of Acts. Beginning with the day of Pentecost, remember when the apostle Peter preached his first large-scale sermon and thousands of people were added to the church. And if you and I possess the Holy Spirit, 
we possess the power to win souls too. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, though, oh, I could never lead somebody to the Lord. I'm too afraid I'll get it wrong. I might not be able to answer all of their questions. And you know, if you're someone who thinks that, you're exactly right. You can't. You can't in yourself. But you can allow the Holy Spirit to work through you to point others to the majesty and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy verse 1, or chapter 1, rather, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that means the Holy Spirit brings through believers the power and the confidence and the coherence to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. And he was telling his disciples and us that we need to start using that power. That's what we're here for. Now, you may not consider yourself to be persuasive enough or brave enough or important enough to be used by the Lord. You may not think you could ever have an impact on someone's life like that. But you'll never know how many people you can influence until you sincerely ask the Spirit to use you and to, to bring you to people and to put you in situations where he can speak through you and then actually trust him to do it. And the other thing I want you to notice while we're in this text, the truth is we're not responsible for how people respond to the offer of the good news of the gospel. We are just responsible to present it and to be witnesses of what Christ has done in our own personal lives. You see, it's our job to present the message. It's the Spirit's job to bring the results. Amen? I read a illustration from a pastor kind of on this topic he said it reminds him of a young man who was really disappointed about losing a great big sale that he was up for so he went and, and talked to his sales manager and he says to his boss well, i guess that just proves you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink and his manager replied son my advice to you is your job is not to make them drink your job is to make them realize that they're thirsty and that's the same with evangelism. Our lives, our language, our list of priorities should be so centered and so filled with Jesus Christ that they create a thirst for the gospel of the people around us. People should be able to look at our lives and see that there's something different about us. Not because we think we're better than they are, but because we know that we aren't. We just know what to do about it. And then you'll be able to Tell everyone that you meet about this ascended, glorified King Jesus, who is our source of living water, and be able to share how thirsty you and I used to be without him. So let's be open to the Spirit and do our part to help people around us realize just how parched they are trying to live their lives outside of the kingdom. And you know, you don't have to go very far to find those folks. Jesus told the disciples in verse 8, you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Because you see, Jesus' direction for evangelism started out locally, but it spread globally. And that's true for us here. Right? Where should we be spreading the love of Christ? Where should we be witnesses? And the truth is, it should start in our parks, and in our local neighborhoods, and then in Zephyr Hills, and Dade City, and Lakeland, and, and then in Pasco County, and Polk County, and state of Florida, reach out through the southeast into the rest of the United States and then around the world. And I am so very, very proud to be part of a church that does that. In fact, it is the very heart 
and essence of what we do and who we are. So much so that your church council embedded those ideas into our mission and vision statement for this organization. Who knows without, without looking what our mission statement is? Anybody? No? All right, open up your bulletins because I'm going to show you where it is. Right on the inside of your bulletin. Everybody got it? Read it out nice and loud, Miss Pam. That says our mission at the top. Things done all the way on the inside page. Right, that is the mission of this church, to present Christ to everyone, everywhere, at every available opportunity. That is our mission. Right? And for those of you that may not know, about eight years ago, your council got together to crystallize what the overarching purpose of this group is, and I think they hit the nail right on the head with that mission statement. Because the presentation of Christ to a needy world is the one and only reason for a church to exist. And precisely because they recognize what we've been talking about this morning, and they realize they couldn't accomplish it in their own power. So they look to the scriptures for the means to accomplish that mission. And Jesus tells us in the text today where that power is going to come from, doesn't he? From the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to put my kids on the spot again. JJ and Kitty, can you stand up and tell everybody what the fruits of the Spirit are? They look stunned. Go ahead. Very good, right. If you didn't hear what she said, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if you caught that first one, which is where our vision statement comes from, it's love. Pam, you want to read our vision statement? Right underneath the mission. Right, to be a loving, caring church whose arms embrace all that come. You know, it's been said that love is the supreme ethic, so if presenting Christ is why we exist, loving other people is how we accomplish that. Because evangelism can't be just some program. It can't be the work of a committee or the topic of a sermon. You and I have to actively love other people enough to lovingly share with them the offer of salvation, to actually take the gospel with us everywhere we go. And we could evangelize at work and at school and in, at the doctor's office and the grocery store and in restaurants. Everywhere we go, we can take Jesus. Because there's a mission to carry out. And until Jesus makes his return trip back down, we've got a work to do. and We've got a king to serve. And we see that in today's text as we move a little deeper into it because after Jesus talked to his disciples about their new job and their purpose and the power they were going to receive to carry it out, the scriptures tell us that he was taken into the cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing there staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Can you imagine standing there in that moment? And you're looking up into the air and you're watching Jesus rise into heaven and then all of a sudden you get a little tap on your shoulder and you turn around and a stranger says, what are you guys looking at? It's a pretty simple question, right? But it's a point not to miss here 
Because asking questions can be a vital part of our work in evangelism. I know our Lord definitely thought so. For those of you that, uh, that come to Sunday school, we've talked about this a whole lot over the last couple of years in our study through the Synoptic Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and now in our look at the Gospel of John. And we've seen that time and time again when Jesus is talking to someone, he usually answered their question with another question. Not to skirt the issue, though, but as a bridge to a deeper level of conversation. Because those kind of questions not only diffuse tense issues, but they penetrate right to the heart of a matter. And you can really help another person open up. And you and I can do that. All of us can, can move those friendly, everyday conversations from talking about news and sports and weather to talking about spiritual things. Just by asking questions. You can ask your unsaved friend, what's the source of your strength that gets you through the day? It's an easy way to start. You can ask them, if you have a problem or when a crisis comes up, who do you turn to first? You could simply ask your friend, do you, do you have faith in anything? And you'll be surprised how eager people are to open up and talk once you get them started. For instance, did you know that half of the currently unchurched Americans surveyed by Gallup pollsters said they would return to active church participation someday? And of that group, one in five said they would start back faster if someone would just talk to them on a one-on-one -on -one basis about spiritual things. We can do that. And you see, you don't have to be a pastor or have a master's degree in philosophy to share the gospel. You just have to be able to have conversations with store clerks and taxi drivers and your neighbors, your friends, your family. And it's something that everybody in the body of Christ is able to do. You know, I think a a verse to a scripture that really pulls kind of all of these ideas together is from the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where he writes, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Right, did you catch how that started out? It says, in the beginning, by revering Christ in our hearts. And that's a vital part of this verse. That's the, the source of the answers that we're to be prepared to give, and it is our only legitimate authority for giving them. And that's really the dual message of this ascension, is to exalt Christ and to evangelize people. That's the message of the ascension, to exalt Christ and to evangelize people. They go hand in hand. They're like a cause and an effect. In other words, Christ is ascended. Now go tell the world. And don't just look up, but speak up. Like the angels asking the disciples why they're standing there just staring into heaven. As if to say, hey, fellas, don't spend all your day just staring into the clouds. You've got work to do. You've been given a commission by the king. And now at his ascension, his men are reminded of that by the angels as they see him being taken up into heaven and as they're told this same Jesus is coming back. Not another one, the same one. Is coming again, the same Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. The same Jesus that turned water into wine. The same Jesus that walked on the sea. The same Jesus that made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. The same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead. The very same Jesus that died on Calvary's cross for our sins. And the same Jesus that rose from the dead and is now ascended into heaven. And the angel said he will return in a visible, recognizable, resurrected body. And even though 
Jesus told us no one knows the day or the hour. We know enough about Jesus and about his love for us that that promise is true. And it was enough for his disciples in the first century, and it's still enough for us today. But we can't stop there because we have to be about the Father's business. We have to be witnessing for Christ until he comes back. And you know, it's so easy to look around at the world and, and say, it can't be long before he comes back. His return is imminent. But that can never be an excuse for idleness. It has to be a prompt to urgency. He could come back today. Maybe in a month, maybe in a hundred years, but each day that he tarries is one more opportunity to do the work that he's called us to do. Each day is one more chance to reach our lost loved ones with the saving grace of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, who is now ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father in glory, calling all of us to revere and reveal his precious Son before a watching world. Are you ready? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that you have not only raised your son from the dead, but raised him into the glory of heaven so that he fills all things, Father, in heaven and earth. And we ask you, Lord, to, to send your Holy Spirit now to give us a recognition of that, to be upon us as we receive these new members and as we baptize into your kingdom. And we ask you, Father, to bless all that we are about to do now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.